There's a question that I think we're answering over and over um, as we come to Scripture, particularly over and over as we've come to the end of Romans 1 over the last um, several weeks. It's this question of, um, is, is man inherently good or is he inherently bad? And, and really, how we answer that question will determine who we think God is. Are, are, are we um, inherently good and we, we just need to fully walk in that? Maybe a little help um, along the way. Maybe we need uh, Jesus for where we fall short. And so like it's a it's a my striving and Jesus' work, or maybe maybe the emphasis is more on the spirit and what the spirit does and how the spirit actually makes us into uh, a, a full good human. Or do we believe that uh, we are sinful and broken and evil. Um, and as we've looked at the end of Romans, at least uh, Paul is saying that in, in our brokenness, right, in our sin, which he continues to expound for two more chapters, but don't worry, today is the last day of our time in Romans for a little while, because I, I know we can feel like we're getting beat up a little bit. Like, man, every time I'm here, all I'm hearing is like, we're bad. Well, here's the good news of the story. This story that we unwrap, this package that we open, this gift that we get every week is not about us. It is about who God is and what He has done and how He is glorified and glorious and beautiful. So if you're coming to, uh, like, for for this this rah-rah, you can do it, we're we're just not going to get that from Scripture. We're going to get that He has done it. We're going to get that God is glorious. That we were dead in our sin. We could not do anything. And God has come and done something glorious and beautiful. And I'll tell you what, that like, we, can, we can mishear that really easily. But if you know like the brokenness of your sin... If you've experienced this week, if in our prayer of confession you're like, man, God, I didn't do it again. Like, I know I should have because last week I was reminded of who you are and what you've done and that I should go out with joy and I should worship you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet, did I come and I've, I've just I've blown it again? Then what you're getting is good news. If you, rec- if you come in and you're like, actually, I did all right this week. Like, I'm not too bad. I don't, I don't necessarily need a great Savior. Then, yeah, it's not going to be good news. So what are we coming to? Right, We're coming to truth. The fullness of truth, which be, always begins for us because of Adam and Eve and their sin, and that, that we have received it in our, in our humanity, that we are broken and we are now evil, and all of these things that... Uh, Paul is pointing to that the wrath of God is coming about because of, like we are guilty of that. All of us. But what has God done? God has taken the wrath that you and I deserve because of our guilt, and He's put it on His Son, Jesus. 
And so, Paul writes in the beginning of Romans, in, in, verses, uh, in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, this beautiful proclamation that we've stood upon. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of man, we're not the center of the story. Why has God saved? Because He's righteous. Because He's glorious. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Like, this is the good news that you and I have today. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Listen, as we've been in this um, breaking down of, of understanding like the depth of our sin, the depth of of society and culture and how, how sinful we are, how idolatrous we are, we've leveled the playing field that none of us are righteous. And that's good news. Because it means that the one who has come to save unrighteous, it's available to each of us. By faith we take hold of it. And we trust in God. And so this morning I pray that we would see that. That this is the power of God for salvation The salvation that we need is from the effects of sin. Like all of the things that we've seen that are broken, that are are unhealthy, that tear down society and tear down lives. Like all of those things, God is, is powerful enough to save us from the effects of those sin. He's also saving us from the wrath, His divine wrath, His holy wrath, His judgment against that sin. And if you and I are in Christ today, that judgment that should be upon us has actually fallen on His Son. So we rejoice in that. We're going to look at three things. Really, we're pressing into the last verse of Romans 1 today. The last verse of Romans 1. And it says this, We know that sin deserves God's wrath, yet we sin and we give approval to others who sin. And you might say, nah, I don't know if that's me. Well, I think we'll find out quickly that it is us. Don't be afraid to confess your sin. As you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it actually makes the grace that you've received that much greater, that much more beautiful. And so let's pray that the Spirit would open our eyes to see to see both where we've sinned, but also where He is changing us. Because see, the the reality is that both in my sin and in my righteousness, God is glorified. In my sin, because that means that that the glory of God, the, the cost of the cross and what the cross did is that much greater. And in my righteousness, as, as I'm walking in the righteousness of Christ, I get to say, man, that's not me. That's what Jesus is doing in me. And He gets all the glory and all the honor and all the fame. His name is made great. So let's pray and ask God to do what only He can do today. Lord, would You give us ears to hear and eyes to see? To to both see brokenness and sin, but also to see Jesus the one who has saved, the one who has redeemed, the one who has given His Spirit to apply His work in our lives for Your glory. God, would You be glorified in us today?
Lord, I pray that um, your gospel would be preached throughout the world. That it would be a true gospel. That it would not be a man-centered gospel. That it would not point to us, but it would point to you. Lord, would you do that at Pinedo this morning? God, would you do that in South Africa? Would you do that in all of the places that we know? Would you do that at Seaside in a few hours in Washington? Lord, um, so many places that you have connected us to that, that we long to see the gospel preached, to see you be glorified, to see lives changed radically for your glory. God, and would you stir in us a desire to go and tell others today? We're not going to tell others if we don't believe that it's good news. So do something in us today by the power of your spirit, Lord. Work in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The first part of that statement, we know that sin deserves God's wrath. Man, we've seen it. We see it in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is what we do. We take these these good things of God, we take the story of God, and we somehow put ourselves in in the the main character role there. But the story is about God who is righteous, who is holy, who is a king and Lord, who is in control. And so when we... uh, when we violate His rule and His law and we say that on our own we can live, then what, what should we receive? We should receive the wrath of God. Because otherwise He's not a good king. If He doesn't correct disobedience, if He doesn't correct unrighteousness, He's not good. And we've spent a lot of time looking at that. This wrath of God. And, and so in verse 32... We see that though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. We know. This week, there have been things where the Spirit has, has, has moved and called you to, and you've known that either the thing you were doing was wrong or this right thing that God's calling you to, you didn't do. Now, listen, immediately... His grace is sufficient for you if you are in Christ. But what we miss is we miss an opportunity to walk in what He's calling us to. And so I would just encourage you, like, no, we know God's righteous decree. And we've seen that all of creation knows God's righteous decree. We saw that. You can see the work of a creator everywhere you go. As He said in, in Romans 121, for although they knew God, they didn't, sorry, verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. I'm not just talking about us in this room. I'm talking about all of creation stands without excuse because God has displayed himself for us to know him and to trust him. But we've rejected him. We know God's righteous decree. That if we were to practice them, we deserve to die. And yet, not only do we do them, but we give approval to others. So we know that sin deserves God's wrath. And yet we sin. We sin in so many different ways. And, and one of the ways that I want to I point to 
is, is like this blatant sin. This knowing what is the good thing to do and instead doing the wrong thing. And you see it in this list of sins that Paul gives us. And it's not uh, all-encompassing. There are things outside of this list, but he's just giving you a little bit of a hint to say, listen, none of us get to stand before a righteous God unblemished. We are filled with all manner of unrighteousness in verse 29. Evil, covetousness, malice. Listen, right there, maybe, maybe you're, um, you have a hard time describing yourself as evil. I know that, man, that, that really rubs me wrong. Or malicious. And yet, when I read covetousness, I'm like, ooh. That one's tough because there are so many times where I'm ungrateful for the things that God has given me and I desire something that somebody else has. And it could be all manner of things. I'm not necessarily just talking about material things. It could be gifts that they've been given and uh, abilities that they have. And yet, and yet I want them and I'm unsatisfied with who God has called me to be and who he's made me to be. And so there's this, this coveting that takes place in my heart, wanting something other than what God has given me. And maybe... You know, and that in in and of itself is a type of evil. It's a lie that I'm believing that Satan has spoken, right? That that says you shouldn't be satisfied because there's more that you have, and you have a uh, the good God that you say you love is actually withholding that thing from you, and so he's wrong. And then as I walk in that belief that or that unbelief, I I actually become an enemy of God again. Like, like in my heart, I'm saying, God, you're not good. And I need to be reminded of what truth is. I need to believe what truth is. We can keep going. Envy, which is again, a type of de- desiring of something that, that you don't have, that you want. Murder. Listen, murder, we're all like, has anyone killed anybody? Okay, so we're all good. We're all clear of murder. Whew! Good. But, then you go back to Jesus, who says, listen, I, I tell you that if you've had anger in your heart towards somebody, anybody had anger? Okay, go ahead, put them up, yep, all right, good. Then you've, you've committed murder. And so then we're like, oh man, gosh, this, li- this list, Paul, this is pretty condemning. This is going to leave me in a bad state. Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty. Listen, I mean, we could spend four hours going through each one, but I'm not going to. But I want you to see that what we can't do is we can't say, that's not me. We don't get that opportunity. All of us fall into this category of, of sinners. Gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, that's not anybody in here, I know. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Man. What is, what's Paul doing here? Why is he... Man, it feels like he's just beating people up. <laughs> like, what, what are you trying to do, Paul? Well, Paul is coming in and he's equalizing the field. He's leveling the playing field. God equalizes our great need of the gospel through his abolition of the sin hierarchy. You and I have a sin hierarchy in our, in our minds and in our hearts. We think that some sins are really bad and some sins, ah, that's okay. 
I've been convicted about going over the speed limit lately, mainly because Charlie sits behind me and tells me every time that I'm going over the speed limit. But, like, there's a, there's a reality that I've said in my heart, that's not a big deal. And I've said that I don't even need forgiveness of sin for that. And that's just not true. Like, like I do. I, I need to obey the laws that are given to me. Until they violate God's law. But 35 is not violating God's law. Because that's, that's, what he, that, that's the government that He's given to us. And so I, I obey that. Or I should obey that. But I've said that that sin's not really all that big of a deal. Now the sin of murder, that's a big deal. But, but here's one of the ways that we've done it. We make the sins of others bigger than the sins of self. Things that we don't necessarily struggle with, it's easier to call those things blatant sin. Blatant disrespect for God. But the things that we struggle with, we try, to, we try to minimize those sins. We try to make them less than. And when we minimize sin, we're actually minimizing the, the cross. We're saying, I didn't need Jesus for that. Because it's not that big of a deal. But when we see sin for what it rightfully is, that it's this violation of God and His holiness, and that all of us fall under that, we can freely confess even 36 out of 35. God, I was wrong. Will you change me? Will you help me to change some of my habits so that I can honor you and glorify you even with the way that I, I drive? See, that's what, that's what Paul's doing here. That's what God's doing through Paul. He's, he's leveling this playing field and saying that all of us fall short of the glory of God. We're going to see it in chapter 3. I don't know. 2026 when we get there. One day we're going to see it in chapter 3. So I'm just going to jump there now. We can see it first in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's, that's what Paul's doing. When he makes this list of sin, he's saying each of us fall short. Each of us need a Savior. Each of us are desperate. We are poor and powerless. I love that we sang that. It's it's so much easier to sing when it's got this beautiful harmony and melody to it. And when Griffin's leading us in song, man, it's, it's so sweet. And it just flows off our lips. All the poor and powerless. And then we're like, wait a second. I don't like being poor or powerless. I just sang that. Like, and it was sweet. But then we, then we remember, no, that, that is me. Outside of Christ, I, I'm broken. I, I can't do anything to fix myself. And I'm, I'm sinful. But we're the ones who have made some sins worse than others. We've created this hierarchy, and God has said that all sin deserves His wrath. All sin separates you from a holy God. All sin is a violation of Him, His holiness, and His righteousness. If you back up a little bit in chapter 3, Verses 10 through 12, he quotes Psalms, and he says this, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. In our unrighteousness, you and I deny God. 
You see, we have an, an equal need. And it's a great need because all of us have sinned and none of us are righteous. No, not one. You say, but I have actually sought God this week. How has that taken place? Do we recognize that, that my desire to read God's Word, my desire to sing a song about Him, my desire to share Him with somebody else did not originate with me? It is the work of God's grace in your life that you would have any desire to know Him, to love Him, to see Him. Because without His first working in us, this is our state. We do not seek for God. We reject Him. We turn aside. We become worthless. We don't do good. None of us, not even one. But God has shown us mercy. God has acted on our behalf and saved. We'll get there. We know that it's coming. Finally, we say that we know that sin deserves God's wrath, yet we sin and we give approval to other sins, other sinners. You see, Paul's final accusation in our passage is not against the sin that we are doing to ourselves, but the approval we're giving to others in their sin. We've looked at a couple of things in culture over the last couple of weeks where the sin that society commits is on display. Whether that's in uh, how we are going about our, our sexuality, whether that's in how we go about our idolatry, um, whether that's in the ways that like, all of our entertainment really feeds the flesh, and it just it's put on display, and it's celebrated. And so the society is giving approval to blatant sin. We are giving approval to blatant sin. There are so many ways that I can take hold of good things more. I think about the amount of time that I waste watching stuff that just feeds my flesh instead of thinking about and praying about and reading. And, and, and yes, you can watch things that would feed your spirit too. And yet I'm giving approval to this blatant sin that's taking place. This is what he's saying in verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Instead of grieving the celebration of sin, I just kind of ignore it. I just think that it's not that big of a deal. Those people have made their choice. Wait a second. I didn't make this choice. Like I, I received grace to go and, and to, to have a heart that would be toward God. So why would I not go to these people and cry out to God, Lord, would you save? Would you do a work in their heart, the same work that you've done in my heart? And yet I just ignore it and become passive. I give approval to blatant sin. See, it's not just what you're doing, but it's what you're teaching and what you're giving approval to. Where this hit me this week in my study was thinking about how often I don't give approval necessarily to blatant sin, but I give approval to self-righteousness. My own self-righteousness. I call my children to self-righteousness. 
Like I'm, I'm telling them to fix themselves. Telling them to, to grow up. And I'm, and I'm not doing it with any grace. I'm not doing it with the Gospel being the center of it. I'm just telling them to be self-righteous. That's what I'm teaching. That's what I'm giving approval to. And, and when, I, when I look at it in that light, man, I'm like, God, have mercy. Lord, would you have mercy on me? Would you have mercy on my children? Because now that I've taught them to do that, they're going to try to do that. Will you, by your grace, intervene and show them what the gospel truth is? It's not exclusive to just Paul. Paul's not teaching something new. Jesus says the same thing. Like It's not just the way you live, but it's what you teach and what you give approval to. Matthew 5.19 Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about a morality here. He's talking about, he just got done with the Beatitudes, which are this complete upside-down kingdom. Like, blessed are the poor. Oh, man, all the poor and powerless. Now, I'm, I'm actually beginning to see like what Jesus is talking about. Those who would take their refuge and their faith and their trust in Him. That's what Jesus is saying. And when we teach that, we actually are... are, are call great in the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, okay, well, I don't, I don't teach a lot. Maybe, maybe you don't have opportunities to teach. Maybe you're not put in opportunities to teach. I have a lot of opportunities to teach, and so I feel the weight of this. But maybe you're saying, well, I don't have a lot of those opportunities. I would say that often our silence can be interpreted as approval. And we have to be really careful what are we silent about? What do we just let go? What are, what's not a big deal for us? And you're, some of you guys are going to school, and you're just you're in class with classmates, and it's, it's no big deal that they're doing their, their things. But the reality is that every time they sin, they're violating a holy God. And so because we know that, we have to teach that. We have to call that out. Now, we do it with grace. But if maybe somebody comes up to you and says, well, why don't you do this thing? We don't get to just slough it off. No, we get to say, but because God is holy. And He's called me to walk in a way that is holy and righteous also. So often, uh, because we, we do things that are seen by others... Uh, when they come to us, we'll, we'll just be like, oh, it's, and, and they say, man, there's something that you're doing that's really good, and, and it's beautiful. I know that uh, my tendency is to slough it off and to try to, this false humility piece. It's not that big of a deal. Or these circumstances have worked themselves out. No, the reality is if there's anything good in me, it's because Jesus has done something miraculous. And and my silence in those moments, or my, my pushing it off, is actually giving approval to something else. I'm not saying that you, you need to go and you need to grab a cross and you need to go stand on the street corner, unless that's what the Spirit's telling you to do, and then you do need to do it. But there are opportunities every week, every moment, every day in class, every day at work, every day in your home, 
that you actually get to speak out loud and teach. Like, what's truth? What's good? You do it in your own heart in the very beginning of the day. Like, what, what am I going to believe today? Am I just going to passively go and get my cup of coffee and just keep going about and let my, my flesh rule? Or am I going to say, Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? But our silence can be interpreted as approval. So even those of you who don't think you have places where you can teach or where you get to uh, give approval, I would call you to speak truth. And I'm not calling you. God's calling us to speak as a body, to speak truth. Not only do we approve blatant sin against God, but we also give our approval of self-righteousness. I talked to a little bit about that. But here's the deal. We're not going to get there till the spring, but I just want to read. He goes on in case the Jews that are sitting in the church in Rome are thinking, that's not us. That's, he's talking about that Gentile culture that the, those guys that are sitting on the other side of the church over there that are not Jews by birth, that aren't walking in all of the goodness and righteousness of, of Christ... In verse two, he said, or in chapter two, verse one, he says, "Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God?" Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Listen, he gave the list, and that felt weighty. But then he gives five verses on our self-righteousness, and man, we are hit. Like, we're, goodness, we're in a bad spot. Because when I'm not blatantly sinning, I'm judging others who are. Like, that's just the reality of who we are. We're broken. And when my flesh leads, that's what it looks like. And so even as we say, okay, silence is, uh, can be considered approval and we need to speak out, how do we speak out? What does that look like? It looks like repentance and confession that says, yeah, you're doing this thing and I do it too. Like we're, we're broken and we go about sinning against the Holy God in so many different ways. And what we need is we need a Savior. Because all of us are sinners. All of us are not righteous, no, not one. You see, Jesus has given some of his strongest accusation and condemnation to those who rest in their own righteousness. You read it in this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. As soon as he sets that tone for us, I have to listen because I know that I do this who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says this, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, this humbling of ourselves is a call to confession and repentance. It's a, it's a confession of, of the sin in our lives. And, and yes, it can be done in, a, in the silent moment every Sunday that we take about 30 to 45 seconds. That can be your time of confession. But I think it needs to, I think it needs to move out of that too. I think it needs to move into places where we wrong one another and we have to confess. I think it moves into my relationship with my wife where, where I treat her unjustly or I demand more of her than what God is demanding of her. And I, and I have to confess and I have to say, babe, I was wrong to you. I've hurt you. I've required a, a righteousness of you rather than trusting in the righteousness of Christ for you. I do it with my kids. And so it's got to move into this confession because when it becomes this confession, this out loud piece, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. God, who saved sinners like you and I that are still not right and still in these relationships where, um, where we mistreat one another, but we can be patient. And then when we get to see what God is doing, we're like, man, God's changing you. God's doing a miraculous work in your life. It would first call you to confession, which is awesome, because so many of us don't want to confess. And then as we confess, we begin to see the outworking of His righteousness in us. We have to acknowledge that we sin and that we approve of sin in so many ways. So we're left with this. We know that sin deserves God's wrath, yet we sin and give approval to other sinners. All of this is true. We are dead in our sin, both dying and under the judgment of death. We're in a desperate state. We are in need of a great salvation. But Paul stated very clearly that the gospel is good news. This euan helion that he's proclaiming, this announcement that he's making is the good news that we see in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. How is the righteousness of God revealed in saving sinners like you and I? What's revealed when he pours out his wrath upon his son. You see, at the cross, the righteousness of God is on display. Because otherwise, if, if Jesus does not take the punishment in our place, then God is not righteous. But because at the cross, Jesus takes the wrath of God upon himself, he can save sinners like you and I who are in Christ. He says very clearly this is the good news. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here today and you're like, man, well, okay, Joel, I, I hear what you're saying. I am a sinner. I give approval to sin. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I'm going to change that. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to come to Jesus after that. 
It's important that you're hearing what, what Paul just said in Romans 5.8, but God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The, the timing of this is important. If you think that you fixed your sin and then that's when God saves you, you're wrong. Because see, what we, were, we were rebels. We were against God. And Jesus goes to the cross to save you and save me. We did not stop sinning and suddenly change the things we approved of or behaved. Change our behavior before Christ saved us. No, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. This is the love, grace, and kindness of God. In our desperate state, He gloriously saves us. Not because of us, but because of who He is. You see, God's freed us from this law of sin. The way that, the way that you and I, in our natural state, act. The way that we go about sinning and approving of other sin. God has saved us from that. He's changing us. He's doing it by His death. By the application of that gospel work in our lives by the power of His Spirit. He sent His Son to fulfill the law that you and I could not fulfill. Romans 8, verses 1-4. through There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, hear that again. Because if you sat under that list and you began to think, man, I have failed so many ways. It's true. And yet, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this... This week when you go out and you're like, man, I was malicious or I was envious or I was covetous again. Like, don't, that's a lie that Satan will use to try to, to screen the beauty of the cross. To distract you from what he is doing in his glorious salvation on your behalf. And we'll beat ourselves up and we'll feel like, man, I just need to do better. No, everything that you need has been done for you by Jesus. Everything. Everything. It does not free you to go and live however you want then. What that does is that, that, create, that shows us the grace that we've received. And out of gr- gratitude for that grace, then we live lives that would give Him great glory. Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Today, if you're in Christ, you no longer walk according to the flesh. You walk according to the Spirit. This... This work of the Spirit that's taking place is is the application of the truth to our hearts. And it stirs right worship in us and gratitude to God for our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit does. It points to sin, convicts of sin, and points to Jesus who has paid for the sin on the cross. And what is that going to produce in us? It's going to produce a a new way of living out of a right belief in what Christ has done. It's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Like all of the things that, that make relationships whole, that are the way that God created us to be, the Spirit is working this to make us in His image. But those things aren't the... aren't. 
what we're shooting for. We're not shooting to be loving. We're not shooting to be peaceful. Shooting to be peaceful. We're not trying to be peaceful. Right? That's not the goal. The goal is we get to know God, to see Him, to enjoy Him, and out of that, He changes us into a people that live this way. So often we get tied up in the, in the Spirit and, and seeking the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is just that. It's fruit that the Spirit is producing in us. What we seek and what we long to know is God Himself, to enjoy Him, to rejoice in Him, to worship Him. That is what we're called to. Walking according to the Spirit looks like a life filled with worship, not of ourselves, but of our Savior, our crucified and risen King, Jesus, the Son of God. That's the call this morning. To repent. To confess. To believe that God is everything that He says He is. To believe that the power of the Gospel is real. That I am no longer a slave to the flesh. But I am in Christ. And therefore, it's the the working out of the Spirit in me. I no longer live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This morning I would call you to rest in the finished work of Christ. To receive the application of that work by the Spirit of God. To, to, when you think about it, you believe that Christ died for you. That there's no more that can be paid to make you right with God. Jesus has done it. And we believe that. But not only... If I'm in Christ, have I died to sin? But I've also risen with Him. Because Christ is alive today. He rose again from the dead. Three days after He died, He rose again. And it's been testified to by by, uh, the authors of Scripture that Jesus is alive today. We have to believe that. If all we get to is the cross, then Paul says that we're to be pitied among all people. Like we just have a dead God. But our God's not dead. He's alive. Right? He rose again. And because He rose again, if we're in Christ, we've risen again. No longer slaves to sin, but alive in Christ. According to the Spirit. And we get to walk in His righteousness. I say that a lot. We get to walk in His righteousness. I'm trying to figure out what that means. I think we're learning together. What does that mean? What does that look like? That we now become the righteousness of Christ. It looks like Him continuing to transform us to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. To make us a people that resemble Him. That give Him glory in the way that we live. In the way that we reject sin. And, and then we call it out in our own lives and in others' lives and say, man, what you need, what I need is a, we need a great Savior. And we have it in Jesus. Let's take hold of that together. That's what resting in this finished work of Jesus means. So I pray that we would do that today. I pray that He would do this miracle in my heart that I would take hold of that and believe it not just in this moment, but in a couple hours where I'm frustrated and I'm hungry and like there's, the circumstances are different. Right? Because I think in this moment, it's, we all 
get excited, but it's when the rubber meets the road in a couple hours. Like, how am I, am I going to cling to this? Am I going to cling to a salvation and a righteousness that's not my own and trust in Jesus so that he would be glorified? I pray that he does that in us. Amen? Amen. Lord, we, we're so thankful. We're thankful for the way that you're growing us in Christ. We're thankful for the finished work of the cross that our debt has been paid, it's been paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled, Lord, and that we get to stand. We, we died with Christ and we've been raised with Christ and today we get to walk in your righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would hate sin. Hate it so much that we would flee from it in our lives, that we would... Um, we would call it out, confess it, repent of it, turn away from it. God, I pray that you would um, convict our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates of their sin. God, and as you do that, would you give us boldness to share the good news, the remedy with them? That Christ has come and he has paid for sin for those who would by faith take hold of him. Thank you for the grace that you've shown us, Lord. May we walk in your righteousness for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.